Well, today, church, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or download the Bible app and just type in Colossians 3, and we're going to begin at verse 1. Today, we're going to talk about uh, a subject that I've stepped into probably the last five to seven years that's been really helpful. Uh, I appreciate systematic theology. Uh, If you know what that is, then you know what I mean. Uh, But spiritual formation really, truly has given me life. And we're calling this series um, This Mystery because Paul is writing against this mystery that the church in uh, Colossae is sort of succumbing to, where Jesus is fine, uh, but he's not enough. So you have to sprinkle in some some mysticism, some Roman paganism, uh, a little bit of Old Testament Judaism, and then you'll have the full package of whatever this mystery is. And Paul definitively says, no, the mystery of God is Christ himself, God in the flesh, who was crucified in three days, rose again uh, later. And last week we talked about how we can step into the fullness and step into the mystery. And Paul talks about in Colossians 2, when we're baptized, we're spiritually circumcised. And, and, and Paul says the, the old self, the sinful nature is cut away, right? So indicating that we're saved thoroughly and completely and definitively. And so what we're going to talk about today is what it looks like uh, to step into spiritual formation, to have longevity uh, in our relationship with Jesus. And I think, I mean, there's the whole Bible, but uh, I think Colossians 3 is a great chapter to memorize and lean in as we talk about this idea of spiritual formation. So let's just, let's just get at it. The big idea today is this, that spiritual formation happens um, on purpose, over time, and in community. Spiritual formation happens on purpose. You have to like want to do it over time and in community. So this is what Paul writes in verses 1 through 5. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, meaning authority and power. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ uh, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also uh, will appear with him in glory. Uh, two words that mean a lot that you probably would yawn over, and they are since then, or depending on your translation, therefore. Uh, whenever you see the word therefore, you need to ask, why is this here? Like, what's the purpose of this? Well, Paul is saying, since then, meaning referring back to chapter two, since you've been raised with Christ, right, which is a uh, a head nod to our baptism, since you've been raised with Christ, you step out of the baptistry, now it's time to step into spiritual formation. What does that look like, Paul? Glad you asked. Set your heart on things above, set your mind on things above, not on things below. Uh, The writer of Psalm 27, verse 8, says this. It's so beautiful. Um, My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Your heart wants a relationship with the Lord. Um, And I think that's part of why Paul says, um, don't allow your heart to get consumed by earthly things. And there's a lot of things we can give our hearts to that makes us anxious or depressed or sad or angry. And Paul says, set your heart on things above. Proverbs uh, 4.23 says this, above all else, guard your hearts, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Uh, One of my seminary professors 
David Roadcup talks about a time when he was pastoring a church in Colorado, and he, uh, he was next to, I believe it was an army base that created the pins that went into grenades, and uh, he was telling this story of a reporter who drove up to the base uh, because there was like a press conference or something. He drove up to the base, the gate was locked, and the soldier said, can I see your ID? I need some credentials before I let you in. And the news reporter uh, said, yeah, ho- hold on. He like, checks his wallet. You know, is it a lanyard? And he can't find it. You- you've been there, right? You're trying to find something in your car. You're already sitting down. You're strapped in a seatbelt, right? It's hot outside. But you know, or at least you think you know, that what you need is inside your car. And the reporter says, I, I can't find my kid credentials. Can you just please let me in? And the soldier says, I, I can't do that. I, I, I need your credentials. Well, and the, news re- and the news reporter said, here's the deal, man. If I don't get in there and report on the conference, it's my job. To which the soldier responded, if I let you in without credentials, it's my job. And so the soldier gets, or the, the news reporter guy, the reporter gets so angry, he starts revving up the car, revving up the car and, and the wheels are spinning and the rocks are flying. And at this point, the soldier puts his hand on his weapon, right? Um, and say, hey, if you want to play chicken, I'm ready to play chicken, right? And he gets so angry, he just drives off. When the writer says, guard your heart, I want you to guard your heart aggressively like that soldier. You have to, you have to be discerning for what you allow yourself to feel. Now, feelings come and go, and sometimes we feel things that Maybe we don't want to, or it is what it is, but we need to filter these things through the mystery of God, which is Jesus. And so guarding our heart isn't necessarily a passive thing where we just stand there, but it's an active thing, right? And we give our hearts away quicker most of the times than we should in relationships or with our finances or something in the future. And the writers of scripture say, your heart really wants to be with the Lord and you need to protect it. If you don't protect it, and there's a, there's a sort of an easy pass, like the, the gate is unlocked, um, it will not be well with you. You may be intellectually intelligent, like in theology, but you will have poor um, emotional and relational IQ. The second thing Paul says is to set our minds uh, on things above. And I love the, the play on words here. He says, set your mind on things above. And because now your life is hidden with Christ in God. The word hidden is that word mystery again. And Paul is saying yet again, right? If something's worth saying uh, once, it's probably worth saying 87 times. Hey, there is no such thing as a mystery of false religions and angels and, you know, we sang today, idols. Uh, Actually, the mystery of God is Jesus. And when you believe the gospel and repent of your sin and say that Jesus is the Lord of your life and express that publicly in baptism, your life is now hidden in the mystery, hidden with Christ and God. So so I need you guys to think well. Don't just accept anything that comes through the conveyor belt of culture. You have to sift through it in light of the teachings of Jesus, in light of, in light of the scriptures, uh, because if we're, if we're not thinking well, that can probably turn into not, uh, that can probably turn to allowing a bunch of things uh, to arrest our hearts and our spirits. Here's three things you need to know about yourself. You ready? Here's the first one. You are the most influential person in your life. How about that? 
Here's the second thing you need to know. You're the most challenging person <laughs> you will ever lead, right? You're the most influential person in your life and the most challenging person you will ever lead. And thirdly, you are in charge of you because spiritual formation is what? On purpose, over time, and in community. Individually, like we, we come together for corporate worship and life groups and other communal aspects of, of church life, but individually, it is our responsibility to take care of our emotional, spiritual, and relational health, okay? If we don't, then we become codependent on a pastor or a church or a leader that without them, we can't really grow in our faith. Our spiritual formation first begins with us. We want to be diligent about it. We want to be purposeful about it over time. And yes, in community. And Paul's going to tell us uh, and give us a sense of urgency of what happens if we don't actually do this. In verse 5 through 11, Paul continues this chapter, put to death... Therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry, because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, right? Paul's reminding you, this is life before Jesus. You used to do this in the life you once lived, uh, but now you must also rid yourselves, here's, here's that emotional health, of such things like anger, rage, Malice, slander, filthy, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Paul says, be killing sin or sin will kill you. And he's urging this church, as I am urging us, to be, to be aware of what's happening here. You cannot be spiritually healthy and emotionally unhealthy. To say you're spiritually healthy or spiritually mature means, whether you say it or not, you are emotionally healthy or emotionally mature. And Paul says, you need to continue. Remember, present verb, what did I say last week? A present verb in the New Testament, more times than not, is an ongoing, continual action. Every day, kill something in your spiritual life. Kill sin, or sin will be trying to kill you. But I'm saved by grace. Yeah, great, whatever. But if the enemy can ruin your witness, I think he's probably going to do that, right? And there's an act, active sense that we have to be putting to death our sin, I want to give you guys three roadblocks to spiritual formation and why we don't do this. Number one is we don't have close community. So people that don't put their sin to death, don't practice repentance, aren't believing in the gospel uh, for every day of their life, tend to not live in community. They might go to a life group, uh, but they may or may not ever like, share anything that's of substance. Right? Because there could be fear of, like, what if I'm known? How will I be received? Secondly, uh, we have no daily contact with God. So, this is a person that doesn't have community, uh, is not spending time with the Lord on a daily basis or a consistent basis. And thirdly, here's the, the damning one we do not believe we'll ever get caught. I'm sure right now there's probably a few names that probably glide across your mind. A friend of mine um, 
who's one of my mentors, tells, tells a story uh, to some other local pastors about his father who was um, getting ready to retire as a pastor, preached his whole life. Uh, my friend only knew his dad as a minister, and there was this big to-do celebration uh, for his dad. Um, his dad was probably the pastor there for like 30 years, uh, small town, deeply loved, family deep, deeply loved, made some really good relationships, right? But wasn't probably in relationship. Before uh, my friend and his bro- brother drove out to, I don't remember where his father was, uh, they, they received some pretty horrific news. And that is uh, somebody communicated to my friend that his father at the church had been having an affair with well, at the time, one woman, but multiple women throughout his ministry. And this is like the week before his final sermon. This is the week before, um, you know, the elders gifted him uh, the parsonage, which is a home on the church property. It's like a thing in the Midwest. It may or may not, I don't know if it's a thing here in New England, but the elders said, hey, you can live there, rent-free, mortgage-free, it's yours. And the elders were going to give them a pretty nice financial gift, as well as allowing the church to bless them financially or however they wanted. Um, what, do you, what do you do? What do you do in that situation, church? It's tough, isn't it? Welcome to life in reality. Uh, my friend decided to call up his brother, share the news, uh, share the news with his mom. And what happened is uh, they went to uh, his father's church. Uh, my friend preached the final sermon. Uh, my friend's father did not receive uh, the, um, the parsonage and or the financial gift, right or wrong, doesn't matter. It, it, that's what happened. Um, and when my friend was cleaning out the parsonage, they, they did find, his mom and his dad did find like a little condo uh, outside of the community or pretty close to it to live in. When my friend was cleaning out his house, he found a shoebox. You already know where I'm going with this, of letters. Um, some that he wrote and some that were written by his mistresses. You think Paul is kidding when he says put to death sin or sin will be killing you? Uh, No, he's not. He's not, guys, at all. And we have somehow divorced intellectual, well, intellectualism, but intellectual understanding of the Bible and not allowing it to form us. My preaching professor said Pharisees are like old film or bad film. They're overexposed and underdeveloped. Overexposed to the Bible and yet underdeveloped by it. C.F. D. Mole says this, this, the Christian must kill self-centeredness and regard as dead all private desires and ambitions. There must be in his life a radical transformation of the will and a radical shift of the center. Everything which would uh, keep him from fully obeying God and fully surrendering to Christ must be surgically removed. And like, we know this, right? We know this. We, we know that if we're not killing sin, uh, we can find ourselves in places that we never thought we would end up, right? Paul even says in Romans 6, 6 through 7, for we know, for we know that our old self was crucified. We know up here, right? 
with him so that the body uh, ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. We know, we know, we know, we know, we know. Are we transformed? Are we transformed? If Jesus is, here's a fun church phrase, Jesus is the Lord of my life, so what? Is he the Lord of your emotional life, your thought life, your anger, your anxiety, your depression? Have you even grown in your self-awareness just over the last year? Paul says you, you have to step into this because spiritual formation happens on purpose, over time, uh, and in community. You have to be proactive in this. You cannot be the smartest person in the room when it comes to theology and a jerk to your brothers and sisters in the church. You have no influence. You have to step into this. Paul continues the letter in verses 12 through 14. He says, therefore, this is the community part, therefore as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothed, remember what I said about Colossae? Uh, Colossae was known for its wool and textiles. It was a sort of a fashion uh, industry place. And so Paul's using this as a play on words, right? As you get up in the morning and you put on your nice fancy clothes from you know, the gap at Colossae, may that be a reminder that you need to put on Christ. You are representing Jesus. What, what a cool, like, even act of devotion and spiritual formation that every day when you get out of bed and you get ready for work or school and you begin to put on your clothes, this is, that, 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 man, that's really cool. I just thought of this. Like, that could be a prayer. Lord, I don't know what's going to happen today, but I want to represent you as best as I can. All right, let's keep going. Verse 13, bear with each other, literally means put up with each other, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any one of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues, put on love, which binds uh, all of them together in perfect unity. So these are the clothes we're supposed to wear, okay? Maybe they sell these on Stitch Fix, I don't know. Here's the first article of clothing. Here's the first article of clothing. It is compassion. The first article of clothing is uh, compassion. And compassion means uh, loving someone out of the bowels of mercy. Of, like loving people from your guts. You know what I'm saying? Like people know, people know if you love them and if you care for them. Then the second article of clothing, maybe this is a scarf, I don't know. I'm having really fun with this. Uh, is kindness. Kindness. Kindness has the ability when to know to be tough and the ability to know when to be tender. If you're tender all the time, you're going to get ran over. If you're tough all the time, you're a jerk and no one's going to want to be around you. The psalmist in Psalm 25 verse 7 says, Do not remember the sins of my youth. Amen. Middle school and high school years. In my rebellious ways, according to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. I hate that verse, because <laughs> in light of the gospel, uh, I can't take my wrath out on you, and I really, really want to. What a very practical way of putting to death anger and malice and rage. We are a violent culture today, especially online. 
and the scriptures say, hey, hey, I know you want to give them a good right hook and put it on YouTube. Before you do that, do you remember how you used to live before you became a Christ follower? Yeah, I would hit them. Okay. In light of Jesus <laughs> being driven with railroad spikes between some of, some of the seven pressure points of the body and having his back ripped off in front of his mom, for you, should you, should you throw the right hook? Ugh. No. No. I shouldn't. I should express kindness and forgiveness. The second article of clothing is, or third, is humility. Humility simply means uh, when, when you humble yourself or submit yourself, it means to place yourself under someone or something. And so what Paul is saying is place yourself under the lordship of Jesus, right? You're going to need protection. <laughs> You're going to need wisdom and guidance. I, I don't really trust people that are not placing themselves under other people. Like, like if I detect no humility in someone, I don't really trust them. Because if there's no humility in someone, that, that means they have never, or they're not currently giving people permission to say really hard things. Because they've built that relationship and there's that love and respect there. And because that's there, they are allowing them to say really hard things in the hopes that if, you know, if it's true, that they can repent and move forward and grow in their knowledge of Christ, their uh, relational health, their emotional health, and their self-awareness. That's also the beauty of community, guys. If we're building healthy relationships, there's some of the ways we live are so underdeveloped that we continue to live in them that we don't even know what we're doing when we're doing it. And it takes somebody that is humble enough to say, hey, man, um, when you say this this way, or your body... Uh, your body language or your posture is, is this. Like, do you understand, like, how you come across? Oh, I, I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I, that's surely not what I meant. Okay, but it's what you said. <laughs> Thank you for helping me grow. Paul also says to put on gentleness. This is what I meant to say, the difference between tenderness uh, to when to be tough and or tender. And lastly, Paul says we need to put on patience. We need to put on patience. Um, the, the, one of the words for um, patience, maybe there's more, I don't remember. Um, sort of, uh, so when Paul says your life is hidden in Christ, or think of like, it's just, I'm winging this here, so watch out. Like peanut butter M&Ms are awesome, right? It's that peanut butter that, 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 that's inside. So you've got the shell of a word called patience. Inside the word patience is one of the words for wrath. When Paul uses the word patience, what he's saying is, you are in a season <laughs> of the patience of God. And a lot of folks think that if I continue to not put, um, put to death my sin or whatever, or I, don't need to, I don't need to follow Jesus or any religion, they incorrectly and ignorantly and, under, and, and from their underdeveloped heart don't realize that just because God is patient with us doesn't mean that he's going to be a pushover. And so the very fact that you woke up today, especially if you're not a Jesus follower, and you can breathe today, and you made it to church today, or you're watching online today, and you're still alive, 
is an act of the patience of God. How many times in our relationships are we ready to drop the hammer and we do it, but we don't practice the patience of God? Church, spiritual formation happens on purpose, over time, and in community. William Barclay writes this, It is most significant to note that every one of the graces listed, referring to this text, has to do with personal relationships between man and man. There is no mention of virtues like efficiency or cleverness, not even diligency or industry. Not that these things are unimportant, but the great basic Christian virtues are those which govern human relationships. This is really worth the whole quote right here. Christianity is community. It has on its divine side the amazing gift of peace with God and on its human side the triumphant solution of the problem of living together. I want to show you a graph, two different graphs here of two different triangles. I want to show you how a healthy person lives in community and how an unhealthy person lives in community. This is called the triangle of authenticity. A healthy person living in community is honest with as many people as they come across. We call this integrity, right? They're honest with people as best as they can uh, to whoever they come across with. Above that, uh, they, they are transparent with a handful of people, six to 12 people. But at the top of the triangle, they are vulnerable with a few people. And that's a good thing. Like I'm, I, when I say a few, I mean like one to three people. Hopefully your spouse is one of those three uh, persons. The other triangle represents our old self, our, our false self, uh, of, of authenticity. And notice the difference at the bottom. This person is vulnerable with many. This person throws up on social media. They, they probably gossip a lot. Uh, they're trying to bring people in and bring other people in. They just, there is no, there, no pun intended, there is no mystery about this person, right? You don't need to get coffee with this person because you already know what they're doing in life because they put everything online or they just tell you anyways. And they're transparent with a few people, uh, but they're honest with few. They're honest with few. And uh, this is the difference between healthy and unhealthy relationships within the context of community. And I want to give you guys some categories, categories of relationships for your spiritual formation. Um, you can, it is unfair, because you can't ask them, it is unfair for one person to be everything, everything for you, right? One person can't be your your preacher, your fitness instructor, your counselor, your, you know, your buddy that you hang out with on the weekends. Uh, we need multiple people in community pouring into us, okay? So let me give you uh, four or five different kinds of relationships. The first one is vulnerable relationships. In other words, who knows the real me? And I'm talking about one to three people. And it's not inauthentic to be vulnerable with one to three people and not vulnerable with the six to 12 below. The second kind of relationship uh, would be a work relationship. Here's the question that asks, who is sharpening me? Who sharpens me? The third kind of relationship is wisdom relationships. Who, is, who deepens me? Who, who, who invites my mind to wonder or daydream or have a bigger perspective on Christ and God and the world and whatever it is that we're talking about over, over lunch? The next kind of relationship would be a wealth relationship, and it's asking the question, who, uh, who, is, who is enriching me? 
And the final relationship would be connecting relationships, which is asking, who is connecting with me? It's sort of a, a network kind of, of question. I love what uh, Dr. Carl Menninger uh, wrote when he, when he talks about the importance of listening in community, not to respond, but to hear and understand the other person. This is what he says, so beautiful. Listening is a magnetic and strange thing. It's a creative force. The friends who listen to us are the ones we move toward. When we feel we are listened to, it creates us. It makes us unfold and expand. Spiritual formation happens on purpose, over time, and in the context of Christian community, where we are vulnerable with a few people, we are transparent with a few more people, and we're honest with everybody that we encounter. Paul closes out this section of scripture in 15 and 17 when he writes, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with wisdom, with all wisdom, through psalm, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Spiritual formation happens on purpose, over time, and in community. These are the results, church, of being formed by the gospel. He tells us in this closing section, we have the peace of Christ, emotional health. We are allowing the message of Christ to dwell within us, spiritual health, and we are teaching and admonishing one another. We now have relational health. Spiritual formation, hopefully you're rolling your eyes at me by now, is on purpose over time and in community. It is my hope and my prayer <laughs> that you would step into this, that you, would, that you would step into asking the question, what does it mean to be formed by the gospel? So the Lord has my, my, um, my relational health, my spiritual health, and my emotional health.